0: The Last Word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. Now we're joined today for The Culture Club by a woman who has done terrific work as a photographer of musicians but also was one of the big publishing success stories of last year with her book Twilight Together, Portraits of Ireland at Home. Ruth Medjber, thank you very much for taking the time to join us here on The Last Words Culture Club.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, (laughs) loving this. This is great. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, delighted but listen tell us a little bit about the book will you uh, before we get into all your choices and a little bit about the photographs that you took the opportunity to take during lockdown last year
1: yeah um it's exactly that I mean March 23rd 2020 was the first day I took a picture for this book um, and obviously back then I didn't know it was going to be book I was just taking a nice photograph I had an idea and um, to take a photograph of people at home through their window because you know as a portrait photographer as a live music photographer I'm surrounded by crowds all the time or people backstage and my job is very it's it's personable it's intimate I get to know people that's what I do so I suddenly you know like everyone else was was kind of essentially had nothing left to do. And my career is so wrapped up um, in photography, my identity is wrapped up in it, that I just thought, I need to find a way of connecting with people that I can use my skills as a photographer and still kind of have that little bit of an intimate connection that I was missing so much. So I, I thought everybody's at home right now, everywhere, everyone across Ireland, we're all listening to the message to stay at home, while walia. So for the first time ever, people were at home, I knew where they were. And everybody, well, nearly everybody has a window that is accessible to shoot in from the street. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice just to have a little snapshot of people during this time framed by their window frame and I shot it at twilight so we have this lovely blue kind of glow of the outside you know that lovely golden hour where everything looks so magical and dreamy and then inside I made everyone turn on the big lights and all the lamps so it was really warm and inviting so I actually just the the photograph went so well the first one I did in in March that I said let's do a few more of them and when I'd done a few more um, I posted it on my Instagram and my Twitter, just very casually, didn't think anything really of it. And the next day, the Irish Times said, can we run it as a cover? After that, CNN picked it up. And then I had a couple of book offers. And I went, wow, people are really, um, they're really connecting with this idea. And I think it spoke to people who were also at home feeling isolated. And they, you know, I think it made them feel a little bit better about themselves, knowing that everybody across Ireland was doing the exact same thing. So I decided at that point, I'm going to, make it an all Ireland project, I'm going to photograph as many places as I can and as many people as I can from all different backgrounds, different personalities, different professions, different races, religions, everybody that I could imagine to give us a good picture of Ireland in 2020. And I said, let's just make a book, a document that we can hold in our hands and look back on when this awful experience ends whenever it ends that we'll be able to look back at the photographs and the types of people that there were but also I there's about 44 stories in there that tell the tale of lockdown as a whole so I spent three and a half months photographing every single night driving up and down backwards and forwards all across Ireland um, to to do this book and
0: it came out there in November. You mentioned the you have people to put on the lights and whatever. You were doing this <laughs> with permission, were you? Because I can see oh, yeah. <laughs> myself that. Well, you know, you know, sometimes I I just know if you go for a walk with a dog or whatever, I'm yeah. fascinated by the amount of times that you're walking past houses and you see people over their desks in through the window, or you see them cooking or setting up things for dinner and whatever, and you sort of imagine the lives. That they're living. These are strangers to you. But did you get get to know then the people? people. Yeah, the people that you took photographs of.
1: So how it kind of happened was the first people that I took were people that I knew, do you know, that I reached out to, that I said, I'm going to test this idea. So, you know, the first one was my best friend. And then the other 16, before I published it, I wanted to have a perfect square. So I thought I'd do 16 houses all together so I could post it like it was a little apartment block. And I kind of knew all those people. And, you know, some of them were my neighbours that I'd knocked into and went, I've got this crazy idea. Will you do this for me? So I got to know them. But then when the Irish Times came out, I, about two days after that, I had 400 emails in my inbox from people looking to take part in it. And I thought I'll never get through this, <laughs> but, um, but I, I had a, I had a go at it. And I actually, I did build up a lovely relationship with a lot of those people. Cause I'm, you know, I was at the window, I'm listening to their stories and I might have been the first person that they've seen in maybe six weeks. And, you know, a lot of these people were, you know, vulnerable people who who were in total isolation. And I, I love to chat, like you can't, you couldn't drag me away from the windows most nights. And I'd be sitting there talking to them and we're still friends. Now there's 499 people in the book, not including bumps that are now babies. And um, that's an awful <laughs> lot of people to get to know. But I think genuinely, I think I probably know about 400 by name, at least, you know, I mean, it's such an Irish thing as well, isn't it? To be picking up friends along the way of everyone you meet. Like.
0: <laughs> that is terrific. But tell us a little bit as well about, and this is relevant to our culture club when we'll be getting into music and we'll get to exhibitions later. But you have done an enormous amount of portrait work. And I told you, I mean, you've the likes of Grace Jones, Beyonce, Metallica, Billy Eilish, Foo Fighters. Tell us a little bit about what's involved in actually capturing those personalities.
1: Yeah, so those names that you have there, there that would be live music, right? So if I'm if I'm photo, I've, that's that's the bones of my career, to be honest, is live music. I love gigs and I love festivals and I just love the adrenaline that's involved in shooting a show. And for me, the real magic happens is when. I know the personality on stage. I know the person, whether it's through studying their music, being a lifelong fan or being on the road with them. And I kind of get to know their, their really unique character or personality traits. I know the way they hold their head when they're happy and confident. I know this, that and the other. And when I can put all that together ah. Uh, you know, through a live music performance photograph. That's truly when I know I've done a good job. So it could be different. You know, if I photograph, say, if I went on the road with a band and, you know, it might be I went out with them in January and then it might take me till March till I really get to know that personality. And the photographs are worlds of difference between, you know, between, 10, 15, 20 shows down the road. So, I mean, a lot goes into live music photography as well. I mean, it's it's years of experience. It's getting to know your camera. It's getting to know music. It's knowing when... There's going to be a build in the song and I can anticipate that, okay, if the song is going to rise here, everyone's going to be going mad. The crowd are going to be jumping, but also the band are going to be jumping. So I have to set the camera to a really high shutter speed. I almost have to be jumping with it. I have to be... Like, I have to be enjoying it. I have to be in unison with everybody. So there's all these there's all these elements that you build up to get the perfect shot. It's Unfortunately, it's not just, you know, look at the draw, trigger, happy, and you point the camera and take a few photographs and see what happens. But I've been doing it for so long now. I started music photography when I was about 14. I joined Hot Press then soon after, and now I'm 34. So it's been my absolute life's passion.
0: Yeah, And tell us about the music you love. We always ask our guests to tell us about the first single they'll ever uh, recall buying or will admit (laughs) to. So what's your one?
1: Oh, you see, it's the admitting to bit there. That's tough. (laughs) Right, so... I remember this plain as day and it's very embarrassing but sure look I don't care I am who I am. My dad bought me my first single and it was Wigfield's Saturday night. Do You remember Saturday night it was such a class you. <laughs> I was <about> 8 years, <laughs> eight years <old. laughs> That's Terrible. Um I could still listen to it today now and call it like a banger it'd be grand. Um but I think what I I got my own pocket money together and I saved up for was um I was eleven years of age, I think. Why Claf Why Clef Jean? Gone till November. And I just I fell in love with him. Something about, you know, the intro to that song was so magical. I went into um saved up my pocket money. Like I said, I went into um I think it was HMV and uh was going in with my fiver to buy a cd and when i clocked that i could buy a cassette instead which were 250 i was like oh my god i can suddenly buy two songs (laughs) so i came away with that day with wyclef john's gone till november and eagle eye cherry saved tonight (laughs) well it's wyclef john
0: that that we actually have a little bit to play off his is gone till november
2: every time i make a run girl you turn around and myself, why, oh, why, see, you must understand, I can't work a night to five, so I'll be gone, till November, said I'll be gone till November, I'll be gone till November, you tell my girl, you'll be gone till November, I'll be gone till November, I'll be gone till November, you tell my girl, you'll be gone till November, January, February, March, April, May. I see you crying, but girl, I can't stay. I'll be gone till November. I'll be gone till November. And give a kiss to my You're mother. Ready? When I come back, there'll be no need to clock. Uh-huh. I have enough money to buy out the blocks. Uh-huh. Tell my brother go to school in September, so he won't mess up in summer school in the summer.
0: Tell my cousin Jenny- So, Ruth but I'd say that's a first choice that you'd still stand over.
1: Yes. And you know what? Listening to the lyrics there, I've no idea what the intention of the lyrics were, but it's actually quite applicable to my life. So he goes, I can't work a nine to five, so I'll be gone till November. That's like all of us roadies hopping on a tour bus saying, right, we'll see you in three or four months. Bye.
0: Okay, favourite album, and you correctly said, as many uh, guests in this uh, culture club say, is that you can't just pick out one. But you did manage to pick out three great albums for us. We'll play a track from one, but tell us the three selections you made.
1: Okay, I'm glad you said that they're great albums and I haven't just mortified myself even more there. Um, Yeah, it's very hard to pick an album because obviously, you know, your favourite album could be, you know, is relevant to whatever period in your life, but whatever emotional state you're in. So, yeah, I mean it's very difficult but these are three long-standing albums that have hovered over my life in one way or another so I think the first one um that was that got me like straight into music as a as a teenager I think I was even younger I think it came out in like 1998 so I was 12 was Without You I'm Nothing by Placebo and um they had one of the singles from there uh, was pure morning. And I remember just seeing that on MTV back when televisions used to play music. And I was, fascinated i was straight in i didn't for months and months and months i had no one to talk to about music in my school and i called them placebo because i could never <laughs> see <with> Placebo before <laughs> so i was going around telling everyone about this brand like brand new band i just heard um and then the other one then i think from placebo went a natural progression into the manic street preachers holy bible i think that's just as everyone will agree that that's a seminal album but for me that was um Really a case of reading liner notes, reading sleeve notes and, you know, reading the lyrics that Richie Edwards had written and really trying to digest it and find out more about, you know, philosophy and and literature and all the things that he goes on about. And, you know, it was a real kind of teenage awakening for me. I think even though it came out when I was really, really young, I just I latched onto it for dear life. Um, and I've had some of the well, best We actually moments.
0: have a track from that. Oh. We're going to play a little bit of PCP. The energy you get from the monastery preachers there is something that also they still retain when they play live. Have you ever had the chance to photograph them when playing live?
1: I have multiple times. I think in the Olympia um, and recently up until they did a BBC festival, I think up north, maybe about two years ago. I've must have photographed them about 10 times in all different types of attire that Nikki comes out in and all his amazing dresses. And um, the thing with me is that I. I uh, I sing along if it's a band that I really really love. I I kind of forget to t- to do my job and I end up singing <laughs> along and missing all the shots. So um, yeah, that's sometimes I have to kind of take a step back and go maybe someone else should photograph this, and I'll uh, I'll just sing and dance in the corner like. Um, Okay, your your third
0: album choice, Ruth, and we just got to keep moving along here, unfortunately, because I do want to get to some other things. But your third album choice is another one of my favourite albums by what's your favourite band or artist as well, the incomparably brilliant Radiohead. What did they do for you?
1: Kid A. Kid A was the record that... Uh, awakened kind of a creative part of my brain that was a professional creative part. I've always been creative, but I never in this broad sense. And anytime I have writer's block photographer's block anything like that I just need to go into a room and listen to kid a and it's all opened up again and just them as a as a band I mean have you ever seen anyone evolve like that the way they've done through their career but hit the nail on the head with every record that they put out and live performance and video like they're just as good solid package and I'm very very lucky to have kind of grown up alongside of them as well, and that their taste evolved and mine did as well. And we kind of did it in unison, not that like I had anything to do with them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, come on now, let's <laughs> go this way for me. But it was just, I just felt that Kid A was so different from anything that they'd done before, but it just hit me at the right part of my life that I was like, this is what I'm ready for. And that's all a good album needs to be, isn't it? It's just something personal, a personal connection to your own life. So, yeah, Radiohead, Kid A, amazing.
0: Let's hear a bit of idiot i not from Kid A. Well the photographer Ruth Medjber is with us for the Culture Club today and we've been talking so much about music because she photographs so many great artists, has spent a lot of the time on the road recently with Hosier before the lockdown as well. But I'm fascinated by the first gig or the best gig that you remember which you think may actually have been one of your first. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, I think everything stems back to this moment in my life when I realised that music was going to be, well, live music was going to be such an influential factor. I, You can't really go anywhere from this as well. My first gig was Michael Jackson and the RDS in 1997 when I was 11 years of age. And it was such an incredibly perfect show. I was totally just... I was like set up for a fall after that really, wasn't I? And Nothing was going to compare to any, any gig after that. Um, like I went in and um, he blasted out of a rocket and then I kind of blacked out for a while because I think I was just so giddy. <laughs> Michael Jackson was the be all and end all for me. I grew up with him you know, I was like playing his bad records and stuff when I was about two and three and four. And when he released history, I think in 1995, I just became utterly obsessed again. And, uh, the thing about this gig as well, though, was I'm, I'm, tiny I'm five foot two and I've always been tiny but when we went in the merch store sold periscopes so there's like cardboard boxes with mirrors either side that if you were tiny you could use them to like see above the crowd I genuinely thought that all gigs sold periscopes from thereafter and I've never seen it again since so I always say the reason I'm a music photographer is because I get to go right up to the front of the stage and I don't have to see over the
0: crowd (laughs) (laughs) Okay we asked you as well to nominate favourite play or theatre show or musical like right, you said you could count the number of times you've been to a play on <laughs> your thumbs
1: I just don't, I, I. do you know what, I'll always prefer going to something, to, to live music and it's not that you know, there isn't a wealth of incredible theatre performances out there. I just will always choose live music. So I couldn't I wouldn't have the audacity to try and tell you what my favourite theatre production is. You'd spot it a mile away. You'd be like, this woman has no idea what she's on about. No, nope. sorry. But then
0: <laughs> I know you were talking to my producer Dermot uh, when we were mm-hmm. setting this up and You brought up something which actually we don't do in the Culture Club, but maybe we should bring it in with certain guests and we're going to do it with you now. And that's for exhibitions, for things to actually go and see. Obviously, a lot of places are shut now, but what sort of things do you actually look forward to visiting again when the opportunity comes to travel and to actually go to galleries and whatever? What sort of things do you want to see?
1: So usually I would take myself away once or twice a year to London or to Paris um, on my own. I don't really tell anyone. I book a cheap hotel and I'll go gallery hopping and I'll make a plan and I might see about 10, 15 gallery shows in two days. And I I do it like military led operation. I'm just like, this is what I want to see. And I, you know, I'll take notes as I go. And I just love it because I think it just feeds my soul. It kind of opens up my eyes to new 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 things that are going on in the art world and you're really just like you take in so much. I treat it like it's a music festival. and um, But one in particular I love is Paris Photo, which happens in November in uh, the Grand Palais in, in Paris. And um it's like Glastonbury for photographers it's all just fine art photography rows and rows and rows and rows of it the best stuff in the entire world and you can see you know you can see Irish artists you can see Eamon Doyle's had some amazing stuff there but you also see like Henri Cartier Bresson you see incredible traditional like iconic photographers there and I think if anybody is just interested in art interested in photography treat yourselves to a weekend away when they do reopen usually in November. November, and the buzz about it is amazing but I mean that's not to say that our galleries here aren't world class because they really are I desperately miss walking around Emma whatever they've got on I just take myself in there for the afternoon I'll do you know one wing then I'll do the gardens and then I'll do the other wing and I'll just refresh my palette like that and then I'll hop on down to um the RHA as well which is like I mean that's where I've seen probably some of the best shows that i've ever seen in my life in ireland like the richard moss show i don't know if you caught that but it was such this incredible big audio visual experience where the 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 music was like or the soundtrack was vibrating through the floor and it was floor to ceiling um uh projections of just incredible footage and uh, just so that the fact that we even get to experience like that tour of that exhibition was is fabulous for Ireland, you know, and I don't even think I we don't charge enough. I don't I don't think for for galleries here. I think we really should be putting our hand further into our pockets to really celebrate art. And um, yeah, that's something I think that we should do more of. And we definitely we need more galleries. We need more exhibition spaces. We need all of that. But um, I think uh, I, I think it's really kind of I'm really glad to hear that you're, you're, you might bring it into your show a little bit more because I think it's underappreciated. I really do.
0: Okay, when we asked for books or authors, you said anything dark and twisted, really? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I know. I was thinking about this, and um, and it's it's kind of shocking as well. I'm looking back at all of the recommendations that I have that I've said are my favorite bits and pieces, and a lot of it's the very male, <laughs> so, and especially my book list. It's like Douglas Copeland, Douglas Adams, Roald Dahl. You know his like adult versions of his stories, where he does his short stories and his ghost stories, and you know there's an amazing collections of of work, and they're just they all always have little twists at the end of it and Paul Oster as well they're all incredibly dark so maybe that uh, maybe that's why I have nightmares at night as well because I'm
2: reading
0: but let's hear a little bit of Paul Oster reading his own uh, wow. the audiobook of 4321
3: according to family legend Ferguson's grandfather departed on foot from his native city of Minsk with 100 rubles sewn into the lining of his jacket traveled west to Hamburg through Warsaw and Berlin and then booked passage on a ship called the Empress of China, which crossed the Atlantic in rough winter storms and sailed into New York Harbor on the first day of the twentieth century. While waiting to be interviewed by an immigration official at Ellis Island, he struck up a conversation with a fellow Russian Jew. The man said to him, Forget the name Resnikov. It won't do you any good here. You need an American name for your new life in America something with a good American ring to it. Since English was still an alien tongue to Isaac Reznikov in 1900, he asked his older, more experienced compatriot for a suggestion. Tell them you're Rockefeller, the man said. You can't go wrong with that. An hour passed. Then another hour. And by the time the 19-year-old Reznikov sat down to be questioned by the immigration official, he had forgotten the name the man had told him to give. Your name? The official asked, slapping his head in frustration. The weary immigrant blurted out in Yiddish, Ich hab vergessen. I've forgotten. And so it was that Isaac Reznikov began his new life in America as Ichabod Ferguson.
0: (laughs) Paul Oster, 4321. We also ask our guests on the Culture Club Ruth, to nominate favourite TV shows. You've got a slightly different angle, though. You've actually nominated an actress you seem to have followed throughout her career. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Because when I was younger, I was an X-Files fan. <laughs> I was such a such a little girly girl, so, uh, really big into X-Files. And then... Only recently, I kind of look back at what I've been watching. It's Gillian Anderson all the way. Isn't she just fabulous, though? You know, this year alone, if you see her as Maggie Thatcher in The Crown, and then you see her in Sex Education, and then you see her in The Fall, she's such an incredible actress. So I will literally watch anything that has Gillian Anderson in it, for sure.
0: (laughs) Well, we have actually a clip of her playing Margaret Thatcher in season four of The Crown. In this Mm. scene with Olivia Colman as Queen Elizabeth, under pressure to resign as Prime Minister, Thatcher visits Buckingham Palace looking for help. President
4: Bush called to tell me he thought it barbaric. Chancellor Cole said it was inhumane. Mikhail Gorbachev reminded me that ten years ago it was Britain holding democratic elections, whilst Russia staged cabinet coups. Now it's the other way around. What they all agree on is that getting rid of me is an act of national self-harm, which is why I've come to you, ma'am. That together we may act in the national self-interest. How might I help? By dissolving Parliament. What? We are on the brink of war. What kind of signal does that give to our enemies? To sit down, if we were to change leadership now, it would make us look hopelessly weak and divided. I agree it's not ideal. Have you consulted cabinet on this matter? I have not, ma'am. Surely that would be the normal course of action. With all due respect, the decision to dissolve Parliament is in the gift of the Prime Minister alone. It is entirely within my power to do this if I see fit.
0: Ruth Medjber, I thought with Gillian Anderson's performance as Margaret Thatcher that she lifted it way beyond the often one-dimensional caricatures that you get of Margaret Thatcher. Mm. She made Thatcher the most interesting character in season four of The Crown, I thought.
1: Absolutely. You're almost rooting for Maggie Thatcher. I mean, how does that even happen? But I just loved every time she was on screen because it was Gillian. It's so bizarre, but just, it just absolutely kept me hooked. Like, Yeah.
0: OK, we asked you for best movie. I suppose it's actually not surprising that you've gone for a movie which is very much rooted in music. Let's hear the trailer for Velvet Goldmine, which gives a good flavour of what this is all about.
2: It doesn't really matter much what a man does with his life. What matters is the legend that grows up around him.
3: Brian Slade was the wildest rock star to come out of London. The biggest thing since sliced Beatles. But that wasn't enough. We set out to change the world. What happened? Who did it? And why? Next week is the anniversary of the whole shooting incident. One journalist is about to look into the mystery. I was trying to contact you about a story.
4: From the moment Brian Slade stepped into our lives, nothing would ever be the same.
3: He was, in the end, like nothing he appeared.
4: Right after everything crashed, Brian seemed to get lost in a lie. Came someone else.
3: Miramax Films invites you to throw away your expectations and take a magical trip back to the 70s when the glam scene rocked London and the outrageous fashions, music, and behavior shocked the world. I knew I should create a sensation.
0: (laughs) Okay, Ruth... For those who haven't seen Velvet Goldmine, who's in it and why does it so appeal to you?
1: That trailer makes it sound awful. (laughs) <laughs> you know what you really just have to see it with a really light heart okay because it's based on just 70s glam rock british glam rock and um it kind of parodies the life of like iggy pop and david bowie loosely but in it is like tony collette ewan mcgregor jonathan reese myers eddie is christian bale there's so many people in it and it's really the movie's been totally overlooked i think it came out in like 1997 um but it's uh, it's just so fantastical. It's just this lovely story and it's just a wild ride and it's all sex, drugs and rock and roll. Um, and the soundtrack, though, is unbelievable. So Tom York and Brian Eno had a big part to play in the soundtrack. And... um. The house band of the movie is members of Placebo in it, which is how I got to know this movie when I was a kid. And you just put it all together. It's just all guitars and glitter and just, it, it's wild. And I used to put it on in my bedroom. I'm a little VHS player that was stuck to the telly when I was getting ready to go out in a night out and I was putting on my glitter platforms. And it's just a really feel good rock and roll movie. And it's ridiculous as well.
0: Okay, well that's a very good recommendation. As indeed have all of your recommendations been. Ruth Medjver, it has been tremendous having you here on The Last Word on the Culture Club. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. It's been great fun. And I'm sure everyone now who wasn't aware of your great book as well, Twilight Together, will be really, really interested in seeing all of these pictures that you took, these extraordinary pictures from the first lockdown (laughs) last year. Ruth, thank you so much for being with us. Thank
1: you so, so much for having me. It was my pleasure.
4: The last word with Matt Cooper. Listen live on air from 4:30 weekdays on Today FM.